This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Why is that so important? Why do you value them so you know, um, we believe in homegrown talent. We, we invest time and, and resources into development of players. Um, players buy into what we're selling. I remember Mike Tomlin at training camp, and I'm paraphrasing. Anybody want a piece of James? Here he is, wow. loose in the secondary. <laughs> Takes two to bring him down. Crosses midfield, gets inside the fourth to 39, and that's a 13-yard gallop for James Conner. Demarius Randall had to end the play for Cleveland. The Islanders come right back. Zizika sets up Matt Martin with a go-ahead goal. Martin has just scored, and the Islanders regain the lead 3-2. First shot of the period, but it's a goal. As Martin left untouched around the goal, he finishes as Zizika sets him up perfectly. I mean, I think you just you try to stick with it. And, uh, you know, we made some mistakes that were um, you know, really big ones, ones that ended up, you know, good scoring chances for them. And, uh, when you're going offensively, I think you just have to be a little more patient, don't force it, and, and trust that uh, you'll get the goals. But we probably uh, opened it up a bit in the second and, and paid for it. Yesterday, our Pittsburgh community suffered a tragic loss of lives in an attack against our neighbors in a synagogue in Squirrel Hill. At this time, please stand and join in a moment of silence for the victims, their families, and all of those involved. It's time for Saverin on Sports. So the Steelers stand pat. No, not Patrick Peterson. Not that pat. There's no question that they could have used a cornerback. But, at least last I checked, Mel Blount or Rod Woodson were not available. And so my point is, as down as we can be about the corner ops of Joe Hayden, if there's nobody out there, why would you trade for him? I want to talk about the Steelers standing pat. This is where they're at. Make it sign some free agent off a waiver wire somewhere. That's happened before. But I know there's a lot of angst about, well, they didn't sign anybody. They didn't do anything. You just don't do something to do something. The Steelers have won their last three games, two of, the, two of them against good opponents. And we've talked about the reasons why, some of the reasons why. There's a big reason why, not the only reason, not the biggest reason, not the major reason necessarily, but they've cut down on penalties. They've cut their penalties nearly in half. That's a big factor. A big factor in last night's Penguin defeat was the Penguins themselves. Hey, I'll do credit to the Islanders. They're not bad. They're 6-4-1, and and maybe the Pens were due for a bad game, but 
as someone once said, they contributed mightily to their own demise. We'll talk Penguins hockey with Josh Yoey at 12.20. Also today at 1 p.m., we'll be talking with Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network about all things Steelers. And something that I, I'm going to alert you to, it's kind of a special thing. We don't often get into this kind of thing. And that is, I think we're all grieving based on the tragedy that happened in Squirrel Hill on Saturday. I think we all feel the same way about what happened. I would hope so. It's not about politics. It's just about the tragedy itself. And not that I, we're ready to move on from that. I'm not. I'm having a difficult time processing it. I would imagine many of you are too. Just the scope of it. More funerals today. But here is what I wanted to talk about in the second hour of the show, and that is the way that this city comes together during times like these. Now, granted, we haven't experienced something like this to this magnitude. But the way people have responded, the way the city's responded, the way various agencies and organizations have responded, the way the sports teams have responded, the way the radio and TV stations have responded. And so what I'm asking you, and you can start your thought process now, get in now on Facebook and Twitter and email and that sort of thing, is how proud are you to be a Pittsburgher? Whether you were born and raised here, whether you were born and raised here and have moved elsewhere, because we've got a lot of people listening all over the country, or you're like me, who wasn't born and raised here, but has been here for a very long time, and this is my adopted hometown. I always say that I was born in Cleveland, but I lived my life in Pittsburgh. I've been here for coming up on 44 years. And I have to tell you, I'm proud to be a Pittsburgher for any number of reasons, but the last four or five days just sort of reestablished, cemented how proud I am of this town. And watching the reaction of out-of-town people, national TV people, one in particular, which I'll get to when we discuss this fully, but I've never been more proud to be a Pittsburgher in all the time I've spent here. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Again, not your thoughts on the tragedy. I think we're, we're all agreed uh, in that regard. But just I want your comments on how the city has responded to all this. And you can get those comments in when we get there at 120 by calling. And you can call on the other topics, too, of course, at 412-922-2874. Pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, stansaverin at iheartmedia.com. You can post on Facebook. Saverin on sports or tweet at Stan Love the Show. 
Let's start out by talking about the Steelers' lack of activity at the trade deadline. And, yeah, <laughs> uh, I was all in favor of dealing for a guy like Patrick Peterson based on the fact that you're not building here, you're not rebuilding here, you're not remodeling here, you're in it to win it. And I would have been all in favor of sacrificing a bit of the future to win now because this team is built to win now, right now. But for those ready to jump off a bridge, and that always seems to happen around here, because probably because we have so many of them, because they didn't make a trade, you have to be trading for something of value. I don't care what the price is going to be. I don't care if they're off if, if they're offering a bad or mediocre cornerback for free. Here, please take him off our hands. If I don't like the player, then I'm not making the deal. And again, I would have been very happy to see them go out and get some help there. But we've seen in the past that they've traded for some stiffs. Brought some guys in who couldn't play. So why go ahead and make that deal if the guy can't help you. And in this case, I'm going to trust the Steelers' pro scouts. They're aware of the market. I mean, again, guys like Patrick Peterson and, like I said, Woodson and Blunt aren't available, I don't think. If you can't upgrade, then why make the deal? Just for show? No. And that's not to say that I'm overly comfortable or confident with what they have. I mean, your best hope right now is that Cody Sensabaugh is no worse than he's been, that Cam Sutton can adopt to that position, or that Artie Burns finally gets it. Those aren't terribly attractive or viable options. But if you're going to bring in some guy who you just – you know, the Boykin guy from Philadelphia. I mean, there have been people they've brought in. To me, it makes no sense to make that kind of move. Every NFL team keeps a big dossier on every NFL player, every player who has been cut every player who's on the waiver wire, and they have a list, and it's prioritized by position. And they often bring those guys in to work out for them during the season. I see it all the time, Mondays or Tuesdays in particular, because that's the player's day off. You'll see a handful of guys either outside on the outdoor practice field, the Steelers' use outside their locker room or at the indoor facility. And you'll see bigger people, <laughs> not hard to see an NFL player, a football player, you know, and they take them to work them out. Why? Well, 
What about injury? Let's say that a, you know a guard goes down, your depth is stretched, and they've got a list. Who's the number one guard available to us? Mostly they're free agents at that point. They're looking for work. But they have a list, and the list is updated. So that there's no guesswork. If, God forbid, a tight end gets hurt Sunday in Baltimore or a linebacker, they've got a list. They're prepared. They're ready to go. You've already done your scouting, right? You've already done your evaluation. They also keep close tabs on all the players from other teams for trades. If those guys eventually become free agents, do you have any interest in them? So it's not like the organization didn't do due diligence while looking at potential trades for a corner. Either they didn't find anybody that they liked, that they wanted, or the asking price wasn't worth the ability of the guy they were bringing in. You're going to give up a third rounder for a guy who is a depth guy? Maybe not even good enough to challenge for a weak spot on the corner? And again, that's not certainly an endorsement of what they have. I mean, I kind of think, like, Cam Sutton is decent to me. I, I know a lot of people don't think so. I mean, he's not as big and fast as you'd like. But what's the old saying? Beggars can't be choosers. So, bottom line here is, I, yeah, I would have liked to have seen him gone out and improve the one position. Look, there's a lot of positions. They could have found an inside linebacker and brought him in. Frankly, there are some wide receivers I would have liked to have seen him bring in. Some of them are rentals, but a guy like Golden Tate is your third receiver. That's a lot to pay, and I, but the price is only a third rounder. I'm not giving up on James Washington, but again, let's talk this year. Is he going to be able to contribute? Well, I think they need a third wide receiver. But either the asking price was too high or the, just the player itself wasn't worth it. Or the combination of the two might be a good player. So we're not paying that. We don't think he's worth that. So again, I understand that's always the case during free agency at the trade deadline. Hey, you didn't do enough. You didn't do anything. Well, as someone once said, sometimes the best trade is the one you didn't make. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. That is James Conner again, zigging and zagging, 10-5, touchdown, Pittsburgh Steelers, a 22-yarder for Conner. Love of the game, really just just doing what I love to do, um, trying to be in the right spots for Ben with the checkdowns in the passing game and uh, just trying to put the ball in the right spots in the run game and really, uh, you know, the passion and the energy uh, just came out, just doing what I love to do. And he's doing it pretty well, don't you think? Hey, before we go any further and talking about James Conner, uh, I want to ask you the trivia question today. The first correct caller wins a $25 gift certificate to the Carlton Restaurant. Purveyors of fine meat and fish in downtown Pittsburgh. I was supposed to ask it a 
before the break, and I forgot. I got a lot of things. I'm, I'm, I'm under a lot of pressure here, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Islanders came to town and beat the Penguins. They haven't done that. Penguins have done uh, really well against uh, the New York Islanders. Uh, not last night. They'll get a crack at them tomorrow night. And we all know that Al Arbor was the coach when the Isles won the four consecutive Stanley Cups back in the early 80s. So here's your trivia question. Who was the very first coach of the New York Islanders? They came into the NHL in the 1972 season. Who was the very first head coach of the New York Islanders? 412-922-2874, pound 970. Again, the first correct caller will win the $25 gift certificate. Go ahead and get Google. I did. When I came, I, yeah, I'm responsible. I'm the one who comes up with the trivia question, so blame me. Blame me. There's your trivia question. James Conner today was named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, why not? 146 yards rushing, 66 yards receiving, two touchdowns. And as I mentioned on the postgame show, thanks to Dom Ranelli of the Steelers from the PR department, James Conner became the first Steeler running back in history to rush for 100 yards and score two touchdowns in three consecutive games. It's never been done before. And there's a pretty good litany of great running backs that the Steelers have had over the years since 1933, right? So he was named the AFC Offensive Player of the Week, and of course, why not? James Conner has been a surprise to me. I mean, I recognize he was a very good runner at Pitt. But as I mentioned to you yesterday, this is different. There are some bad teams in the NFL, but none of them are doormats of the ACC and Albany and Furman and whatever. And he's playing the best football I've ever seen him play. We saw him play in college, certainly. And the thing that is impressive about the guy is that the areas where he had issues last year before he got hurt, and one of the reasons that they were not able, or let me put it this way, weren't willing to play him was because of his pass blocking. There were times last year, and it happens to a lot of rookies, when he didn't know the assignment, the blocking protection schemes, and you can't afford to have your quarterback, whether it's a Hall of Famer like Ben or any quarterback for that matter, you can't afford to have him back there if a running back blows an assignment, misses his block, because it's a blind side hit and you're in big-time trouble. But James Conner has really improved in that regard to the point now where he's become very adept at it. He's become very good at it, actually. Charlie Batch was saying that on the postgame show that he was watching Connor and his pickup responsibilities, and Charlie knows generally what those assignments are, having you know run a form of this offense in the past. And the thing that has surprised me, when we saw Connor catch the ball, I mean, he's not Le'Veon Bell in that regard, not that his hands are any better or worse, but the kinds of patterns that he's being asked to run, 
I mean, Bell might as well be a wide receiver for some of the things he can do. But Connor's reliable in that regard. He had the one big fumble against Cleveland, but he's had a lot of touches, and I don't, if I recall, hasn't fumbled since. But the thing that has struck me, what is so different about him, is his ability to make marginal gains into big gains. I've always believed this. The offensive line, if it's doing its job, and this offensive line does a very good job, they're going to get you only so much. So the average back, if the offensive line provides room to get three or four yards, that's what the average back will end up getting. Four yards is a good run. But the good backs, and then accelerating to the great backs, instead of the three or four that the offensive line gives you, they somehow get seven or eight. And if the offensive line clears the way for seven or eight, you end up with 16 or 18. That's what the great backs do. And I think it's a while before I'll consider James Conner a great back, but he's a back who's playing great. And that's what surprised me about him, his nimbleness in the open field. And as I've mentioned before, maybe it's a product or a byproduct of him losing weight. But he's much shiftier in the open field. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's got a lot of wiggle-waggle to him <laughs> at his size, but he makes people miss. And sometimes it's not, you know, the the swivel hip move in the middle of the field like Barry Sanders used to do. It's just that slight feint, F-E-I-N-T, one way or the other, that gets a tackler just to lean one way. That results in a missed tackle in the open field. You don't have to fake the guy out so badly that his jock is lying on the field to get the job done. James Conner, as I know you have heard me and others say, leads the NFL in forced missed tackles. Part of that is because he runs people over, but it's also because he makes people miss. That's an element of James Conner, unless I've forgotten or my memory's faulty. We didn't see a whole lot of it, Pitt. We're seeing it now. And while I still maintain that they would be better with both James Conner and Le'Veon Bell. I believe that. Just a matter of finding the best way to utilize them. If Bell doesn't show up at all, now he's only got two weeks to do so, I can see them getting where they want to go with James Conner. Something I also noticed in watching some of the postgame shows and some of the NFL shows, People are starting to notice James Conner. I was watching part of this Sunday night show, NBC, the pregame show, before the game that they had on, and they were actually mentioning, boy, James Conner, he's doing great work. Not much mention of him. Well, as they say, look at me now. Why do you value them so much? 
You know, um, we believe in homegrown talent. We, we invest time and, and resources into development of players. Um, players buy into what we're selling. It's time for Saverin on Sports. So the Steelers have what they have. They are what they are. And that's the way it's going to be. Not much can be done about it now outside of bringing in a free agent of one sort or another. We're joined now by Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. Don't forget the network pregame show begins at 11 with Jerry and Mike Pazuta and Bob Labriola. Jerry's brought to us by Hark's Place in Ambridge. Labatt Blue, 16-ounce drafts, just a dollar during all Penguins games. Get ready for that tomorrow night. How you doing, Jerry? I'm good, Stan. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Um, as Not usual, a, a lot of hysteria about the Steelers not making a deal. Uh, I, I checked. Mel Blunt and Rod Woodson were not available um, for the trade deadline. Um, my thought has been, hey, if there's nobody out there they like, then why go make a deal just to make one? Yeah, Stan, it's just, it's, you know, it's just not their history, as we know. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say I pay almost no mind to the trade market here because I just know the way they operate. And unless and unless it was a case where they had some injuries and they needed a body, um, they don't really need any bodies. And are there better cornerbacks out there than what they have? Yeah, but they're just that's just not their style to go trade away, uh, uh, you know, future draft picks, especially number one draft picks. Um, you know, at this point in the season, and um, I, I did not anticipate a trade. I'd have been more shocked if they would have made one, and, and they didn't. And uh, we're seeing more and more of that, of course, around the National Football League. It's starting to look like the NHL to a degree. But the Steelers don't participate in that once the season begins, and and they go with the people they have, uh, you know, and, unless there's an emergency. You know, I don't know if I, it was just me. It seemed to me that this trading deadline, not just yesterday, but, you know, days leading up to it, was more active than I remember in the past. Now, maybe my memory's faulty there. No, I, I agree, Stan. And I, I don't know if it's reflective of, uh, you know, and I've thought this the last couple of years. Well, I see it. I see it every year at the Combine. And I've really noticed it the last two years, how the face of the NFL has gotten younger. When you look at the general manager's, and the coaches in the National Football League. And I'm at the Combine, and I, you know, when they bring all the coaches and general managers through, you know, to chat with the media, and I see some of these guys up on the podium, and I think, who are they? Whereas before, you know, you could identify every coach and probably most general managers in the league because they've been around for so long. But I, I, I think that's kind of just a change in philosophy. You know, maybe with as, as those positions have gotten younger, that they feel they're they're you know they they don't um, you know they're they're a little more gambling if you will willing to make changes unlike you know maybe the old school NFL where you just didn't do that a lot I, I don't know what it is I I think that probably has something to do with it I think that I think the pressure between social media from the fan base and everything to to show them that you're trying to win I think. They're more cognizant of that and or susceptible to that. And, and, and you know, they, they want to show their owners or the fan base, look what I'm doing to make us better. Um, I, I think it's several factors, but I don't think there's any question. Uh, we're seeing, we've seen more trade activity in the NFL 
even with the Steelers, look at what they've done the last couple of years. Josh Gobi, Brandon Boykin, Vance McDonald. Uh, you know, now, granted, those are all early in the season when they're trying to strengthen their 53-man roster at the get-go. But I just think in general around the league that we've seen it more and more than past years. You know, I, I think just in general, um, I think that the parity, if you will, in the league has given more op- teams an opportunity to think that they can win and win right now. Uh, and I think that that ratchets up the urgency of saying, hey, um, you know, we're no worse than, you know, that guy. Uh, you know, we think with an addition here or there, we could win the whole ball of wax. When, you know, normally going back in years, you know, there was a handful of teams that could really win it. Maybe that's what has got, you know, people more active at the trade deadline. Yeah, and, and I don't know if it's necessarily, um, you know, I don't think every team looks at the big picture. For example, when the Steelers say their goal is the Super Bowl and nothing else, they mean it because their history shows that. Their goal isn't a winning record. Their goal is the postseason. They do that all the time. Their goal is the Super Bowl. I think the majority of the teams in the National Football League, while they might say our goal is to win the Super Bowl, is, is a bunch of uh, just, you know, just public posturing. I think their goal is to have a winning season and get in, into the playoffs. So uh, uh, by, by that thinking, I think what you're seeing is teams making moves, uh, you know, to, to uh, you know, hopefully gain the playoffs or, or, or win their division. You know, Stan, uh, you know, Stan and I say Sam because of this point I'm going to make. I, I, I believe I told you this story before. A number of years ago, and I mean a number of years ago, Sam Weiss was the coach of the Bengals at, at the time, and I remember him telling me, he said, the National Football League typically, year after year after year, has four really good teams and four really bad teams, and the other 24 are trying to figure out if they're going to be 10-6 and six or 6-10. Six and 10. Mm. <laughs> and, and I think, I think for the, not only is that true, but I think that's what happens here too. Those teams who don't want to be six and ten and think they could be ten and six are the ones probably making those moves for the most part. And I think that's what you see in the National Football League because the majority of teams are, are just trying to be, you know, let's face it, they're trying to be ten and six and they'll roll the dice and go from there. You know, I also thought about, you know, this as it relates to the Steelers and their particular needed cornerback. Um, I don't care how bad you are. If you've got a good cornerback, you're not giving them up. Um, and I looked at all the trades that were made, and if I believe I'm correct, the only corner that moved was Eli Apple from the Giants right. to the Saints, and he ain't no bargain. I mean, he's been a big bust-out as a 10th overall pick in the first round. So I think that's a factor there, too, that if you've got a good one, either A, the asking price is so high, or B, um, I'm not giving that guy up because they're too hard to find. Yeah, I agree, Stan. And not only has Eli Apple not lived up to, uh, you know, his first-round draft status, he's been, no pun intended, a bad Apple, too, in New York. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they were willing to, to part with him. But I, I think a, a, an upper-tier, a top-tier corner is like a top-tier pass rusher. You know, there aren't a whole lot of those difference makers. And when you have one, um, yeah, I, you know, you, you tend to want to keep one. Um, you know, the Steelers' belief, Stan, is, has always been, they are going to invest their money in pass rushers and edge rushers before they'll invest in it in a cornerback to that magnitude. They believe that the pass rush dictates coverage. And while they always say it works hand in hand, and it does, you know, if, if a cornerback can hold his receiver for another half second, well, that's another half second to a second that a defensive lineman or linebacker can get to the quarterback. But they believe that pass rush dictates uh, a coverage. 
And, and that's why you don't see them put a lot of money in a cornerback. They would rather invest in that rusher because they believe that if you have Patrick Peterson and Richard Sherman in his prime back there, it's not going to matter if you can't get pressure on the quarterback, that eventually those receivers will get open. That becomes a bigger priority with the Steelers, those edge rushers, more than a cornerback. All right, let's go to another position here. And again, let's keep in mind the Steelers generally don't do this. They have on occasion, but they're usually fringe guys in an emergency uh, like the Levi Brown, you know. Uh, right. Apparently, Sharport Danish wasn't available to them either at that point. And the guy got injured in warm ups and never played. Right, That's right. unbelievable to me. Um, uh, I'm not labeling this for any more than this first seven games, but. They've got no contribution from James Washington at all. Doesn't mean that they've given up on him. You know, his pedigree is great. But uh, I still think they could use that third weapon in the pass game uh, other than the two wideouts and Vance McDonald. I did see a lot of relatively high-profile, bigger names, wide receivers being traded. Do you think that there was any interest in that regard? Uh, no, I don't, but you're right about that. Amari Cooper, that trade still surprised me. One, I don't know why the Raiders uh, stand to, to get off the subject just for a little bit. I don't know why the Raiders want to trade their two best players, Camille, Camille, uh, Khalil Mack and then Amari Cooper. Uh, you know, I, I don't get that. I was surprised at that trade. Uh, Houston, I thought, made a big move to get the Marius Thomas uh, from the Broncos, who ironically uh, they play this week. But, no, I don't think the Steelers had any eye toward that. Of course, they always listen. They would you know, would be not doing their job if they didn't listen or, or seek maybe possible uh, alternatives. But I don't think any of that, there was any uh, serious interest or, or anything even active. Um, yes, I, I, one, I am surprised to a degree based on what I saw in OTAs and what I saw at training camp that it isn't so much that James Washington has uh, struggled. It's just that he has made zero contribution. And the combat catches and the, and the elevation that you saw in the spring and in training camp, when he's had opportunities to make maybe a play on the ball, hasn't even done that. I don't know if he is confused out there, um, uh, reluctant out there, um, I, you know, nervous out there. I don't know what it is. But I'm just surprised. And look, I give, I understand, and they do too, that he's a rookie, and it's going to take some time. Uh, Juju Smith didn't really start doing anything until the second half of last year, as you recall, as a rookie. But James Washington has shown nothing. That being said, they're certainly not giving up on the guy. I still think the guy is going to be a big contributor at some point. I don't know about this year, maybe, but I like James Washington, and, and I, I think he'll be – a, a, a nice piece in this offense. But the reason I think to answer your initial question was, I think they believe they have enough pass catchers, whatever, whatever position and title you want to put on them between the two wide receivers, the two tight ends and James Conner as the running back, obviously uh, getting the ball to wide receiver to, to any player has not been a problem because Ben leads the NFL with 318 yards passing a game. So, um, it isn't like their passing offense is struggling, and I think that's the way they look at it, Stan. You know, I was even thinking of a guy, for example, um, like Golden Tate. I mean, that's right. a right. third guy like, I mean, you know. Um, third type of receiver. Yeah, too. exactly. Like, I mean, a lot like, you know, a, a Heinz Ward, Juju Smith type of Schuster, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster type of player. 
I mean, yeah, you know, again, uh, you know, he, he fits, you know, fits that need, fits that role. Uh, it also makes me wonder when Eli Rogers becomes available. I mean, do you think that they're seriously consider, uh, considering activating him? Because, hey, James Washington did not get a hat last week. I realize he doesn't contribute on special teams, really, and DHB was ready. But, I mean, do you think they'll consider activating Eli Rogers when they get a chance? I, I- I don't. I don't know when that would be, Stan, because I've seen nothing from Eli Rogers in terms of uh, development or being ready to go. So I don't. I don't know if and when that would occur. If the Steelers were down to one healthy wideout, let's say Juju got hurt or Antonio Brown got hurt, then I can understand maybe looking into the trade market. But you have two really good, productive receivers not to mention the tight ends, and as I said, and James Conner certainly has shown he can catch the ball. I'm not even sure he's dropped one this year, maybe one. Um, so I, that's why I don't think uh, uh, that, that that was going to be a possibility for them. Um, but, you know, I think I – I just don't see – I get asked that question a lot in, in, in the chats that I do. If people want to know about Eli Rogers. I think they feel they're perfectly fine with two wideouts. Would they like a third one? Of course they would. And I, and, and, and I think they sat down James Washington, you know, to kind of send a little message to him. Not discipline, not punishment, just, hey, maybe you need to work a little bit harder. Maybe you need to pay more attention to your route running. Maybe you need to do this. Maybe you need to do that. I think that's what they were doing. Uh, uh, by by sitting him down the other day. Plus, Darius Hayward Bay was back, and he's a special teams guy, uh, as we know. But uh, but I think that was part of it. You know, they they played. James Washington has gotten a lot of snaps in this offense because they believe in him. It just it just hasn't been there so far. And I think maybe it was a little bit of a message being sent to him that you know maybe you need to buckle down and, and work a little bit harder. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm just saying I think that's kind of what Mike Tomlin was doing by not playing. Last thing for you, Jer, and I agree with you. Uh, they're not giving up on the guy. Um, the, yesterday we were both there. Uh, Aditi Kinkawala asked a question about Le'Veon Bell, and he said, any other questions? Um, so you can't have a segment talking about the Steelers unless you ask a Le'Veon Bell question. So unless you're going to blow me off like Tomlin did, um, <laughs> you know, we – you know. Uh, he's now got two weeks left, uh, you know, or he can't play for anybody this year. Um, uh, what do you expect to happen? Uh, you know, the, there's been so many, you know, they've moved the goalposts, or he's moved the goalposts so many times. Now the trade deadline's passed, so there's not that issue anymore. Um, you know, what's left? First of all, Stan, you know I would never blow off any questions That's right. from you. Thank I'll you. To, I'll leave that to Mike Tomlin. You know, <laughs> you know Stan, uh, just this morning, I asked one of the people who would know and about Le'Veon, and his response is, <laughs> we have no idea, and that is basically uh, the case. Um, I know I, I, the, I don't, the organization, the upper tier of the organization, has not had any discussions with Le'Veon Bell, and, and for the most part, not with his agent. I do not believe that is the case with Mike Tom. I believe that he has had discussions uh, if not with Le'Veon Bell, which, you know, early on, if you recall, go back to the summer or the spring, I talked to Le'Veon. Oh, our discussions, I'll leave that between us. Uh, and, and lately he has said he's had no conversation. And maybe he hasn't, but I, I, I you know, uh, I believe and I'm told, that too, that he does have discussions 
with his agent. Now, what those are, what they're about, what they lead to, I have no idea. So in some form, there must be some conversation going on either with Le'Veon Bell or his agent. But I will tell you, the Steelers at, at the top of their management do not have no idea really what he's going to do because he's had three dates where he has indicated that he was going to come, whether publicly stated or telling teammates or, you know, somebody else leaking it out. And, and he has yet to, to show up for any of them, and that includes last Monday. So at this point, they really don't know. You know, they'll, they'll take the cap savings, and when he comes, Stan, I believe that they'll, they'll, they'll accept him, uh, and they will pay him. They will do, they'll take the high road. They will do what they always do. They'll treat their player the, the proper way. And, and despite maybe, uh, you know, a report or two that they aren't going to pay him for the roster exemption, I do not believe that's to be true. I believe, and others in this organization believe, that the Steelers will, will pay him when he comes, even if they use that two-week uh, roster exemption. So, but until he comes, I mean, who the heck knows, Stan? No, I mean, nobody can sit here and tell you what he's going to do because they don't know. They've had no indication. And even when there was some indication in some form, he hasn't held held to that. So who knows? Just I only have a few, couple seconds left. Do you believe that using Samuels for four carries after Ridley fumbled was kind of as well? We better find somebody because we don't think Bell's going to be here. Yeah, I don't know about that, Stan. But I, I just think it was more. <clears throat> I think it was just more. Hey, look, you fumbled, and we're going to sit you down here, and and we're not going to accept fumbles. <clears throat> I think. <clears throat> excuse me. I think that that's all it was. I think it was just a short term. We're going to put you on the bench and we'll put Jalen Samuels in there. I don't think it was any reflection on what Le'Veon Bell or had any connection to what Le'Veon Bell might do or not do. All right, great stuff. As always, Jerry D., have a good trip to Baltimore um, with your uh, Post-Gazette colleagues. I still miss the the TV show, but anyway. So do I, Stan. I miss doing it, I can tell you. All right, well, those those are good guys to travel with, uh, and we'll talk to you again. Uh, I'll see you Tuesday at the press conference, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, Stan. Good chat with you. All right, Jared. Take care. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio.